Welcome to Sip Sip Hooray, where we celebrate everything that's fun about wine, minus the hangovers. And speaking of, our guests today are all about enjoying wine without the negative toll that booze can take on our bodies. Null claims to be 100% wine, minus the alcohol, and they're finding their way into homes everywhere as people look for ways to enjoy wine without the buzz and the calories. Our guests today are Catherine Diao and Dorothy Munhollen, founders of Studio Null. We are the two Marys who like to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm Mary Babbitt. And I'm Mary Orlin. Call it sober curious, mindful, or buzzless drinking. Non-alcoholic drinks are growing in popularity and demand. New technologies and creators are providing an amazing array of zero-proof options, no matter your reason for being alcohol-free. Today's non-alcoholic wines offer a strikingly similar presentation and experience to the traditional full ABV wines, thanks in part to Null founders Dorothy Munholland and Catherine Diao. We are so excited that the duo are here today to share their story, their journey, and how they came up with the concept for Null Wines and how it is making a difference in everyday drinking. So, Catherine, Dorothy, welcome to Sip Sip Hooray. Great. Thank you so much. We're really excited to be here having this conversation with you, too. Well, we're happy to have both of you, Catherine and Dorothy. And I think I'd like to start with how you guys got started, because the whole notion of non-alcohol wines is kind of buzzy right now and kind of trendy. So I'd like to know how you guys got into it and what made you want to start your own wine brand. Sure. Well, Catherine and I have known each other for a long time. We are college friends. We met our freshman year. And so we've known each other through various phases of our lives. And I'll say in the last few years, as our careers have been progressing, um, we've continued to be folks who enjoy wine and pairing wine with meals and enjoying wine with friends. Um, But we started to feel the effects of alcohol and um how it wasn't perhaps serving us in all of the ways that we um, were able to handle when we were younger. So we personally were both interested in non-alcoholic beverages and non-alcoholic wines. Um, and we were looking for something that we would be really excited about in a similar fashion to the wines that we were enjoying with alcohol. So transparency in sourcing, um, interesting varietals and provenance, and Um, we just weren't finding something that we would be really excited to pair with a meal or to bring to a party and share with our friends. And so we started to think about um, what might a non-alcoholic wine brand that we would be excited about look like and and feel like. So we started thinking about that. We sort of felt it's only a matter of time before something great enters the U.S. market. Um, We saw that non-alcoholic beverages and in particular non-alcoholic wine was um, growing quite quickly in particularly European markets and other markets across the world. Um, So we were sort of waiting for it to come and it wasn't. And so we thought, okay, we have this idea. Um, Maybe we should give it a try ourselves. That's fantastic. So what I think is really curious is, um, you know, there have been movements before about, you know, being sober and it started, we had um, dry January and then sober October and now there's dry July. And um, 
just a little geeky note here, according to Nielsen IQ, which is a company that tracks trends in beverage sales, non-alcoholic wine took up 13.4% of sales in 2002, with a market worth 52.4 million, up 32, I'm sorry, up 23.2% from 2021. So clearly there's a demand, there's interest. So how do you respond to this market? Yeah, I think one of the things that we're seeing is that attitudes towards drinking less seem to be evolving very quickly. I think at least in our communities, maybe five years ago, it would have been a little bit of a sticking out um, if you chose to opt out of drinking. And I think a lot of people's attitudes and habits around drinking changed a lot during the pandemic. So we've been approaching this market with kind of a new set of eyes. Dorothy and I are both uh, wine lovers, but not winemakers by training. Um, And so we came at it really from the attitude of not having to fit into any standardized box, not having to label things in a black and white way, sober or not sober. We really just approach it as people who sometimes like to drink and sometimes like to not be drinking alcohol. And I think that has really helped us um, consider what kind of products we're bringing to market and connect with a lot of the consumers who fall into the same camp as us. I think maybe in that same study, but a couple of other ones out there, about 80% of the consumers who are buying non-alcoholic adult beverage products are people who also sometimes drink. So I think we're really starting to see this kind of shift towards people making choices that make make sense for their personal preferences, for their health goals, for whatever goals they have without having to be so distinctly sober or sober curious or a wine drinker. Right. So that notion that it's uh, a quality beverage that you can enjoy when you don't really want to feel the effects of alcohol either on your sleep or just on your functioning, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think so many of our customers and the people who were really excited to be some of the first folks to try Studio Null were people who have very sophisticated palates, who have loved wine maybe for decades. And we're coming at this with um, a really high taste bar and a really high bar for understanding provenance, understanding how something is made. And so we really wanted to approach this uh, category from that angle with the treating consumers, no matter what their choice of ABV is for the night, with a level of respect. Um, and so I think that's been something that's really helped inform how we approach uh, making each product. What have sure. some of the hurdles been in, in, in terms of how to make a wine without alcohol taste good, taste high quality? You know, because in the the earlier versions of non-alcohol wines, in my opinion, tend to be tended to be pretty sweet. It was like they took out the alcohol but added sugar or something. Um, and I noticed your wines are not sweet. They're not exactly the same as wine, but I can tell that you've approached it with a a wine palette. Yeah, I think there are a couple of um, ways to answer your question. One is in a technical way, and the other is in maybe more of a psychosomatic way. So you mentioned having tried non-alcoholic wines in the past, and non-alcoholic wine is certainly not conceptually something that's totally new. Um, Folks who have tried non-alcoholic wine in the past may have had a bad experience with it because it had that very juicy, sweet, maybe even syrupy um, profile that is not what you're looking for when you're drinking wine. And I think um, that came from 
this category of non-alcoholic beverages or non-alcoholic wine really being an afterthought previously. So um, that kind of leads into the more technical side of things, which is in the past, I think non-alcoholic wine has been produced using um, wines that you wouldn't perhaps want to drink even with the alcohol. And when you put wine through a dealkalization process, it certainly doesn't make a bad wine good. So mm-hmm. one of the approaches that we've taken with Studio Null, and Catherine touched on this, you know, appreciating that our customer has a high bar when it comes to taste, um, is starting with really premium wines. So our process is um, sourcing high quality, fully fermented, fully alcoholic wines, taking it through a gentle distillation process that actually removes the alcohol or the ethanol out um, with a vacuum pressure that allows you to raise the wine to a certain temperature without boiling it, um, trapping the aromas and flavors and other volatile compounds that may be distilled out with alcohol and reintegrating those into the base wine without the alcohol. Um, And then applying some um, finishing um, methods calibrated to the origin wine itself to make sure that it has the body um, and is expressive of the origin wine. So we have taken um, a really cautious approach when it comes to adding flavors or aromas or sweeteners into the wine, which um, I think has been done in the past because it becomes a bit more formulaic and it's easy to replicate the same taste over and over if you're putting additives in. Mm -hmm. We really want the original wine to be expressive of where it came from. And, you know, we've had some Psalms blind taste our wines and be able to say, okay, this is coming from a specific region and these are the varietals. So that's been exciting for us. Um, And that is exciting. Yeah. Hopefully we can continue to push the needle in terms of um, what folks can expect out of a non-alcoholic wine. Sure. Well, some of the, the varieties you work with um, are definitely more European in their origins and may or may not be something that wine drinkers here in the States are familiar with. Um, you know, your latest releases, you've got a sparkling Verdejo, Verdejo being the white wine of the Rueda region in Spain. You've also got Gruner Weiss, a white wine blend, and Gruner Bedlinger, people may know as the wine, white wine of Austria. And then you've got a Garnacha, also from a um, region of Carinania in Spain. So why have you all decided to work with sources in Europe versus, say, California? Yeah, I think our approach to begin with, um, we've visited a lot of the um, facilities that are doing top-notch dealkalization across the world. And um, our first rounds, we wanted to work with organizations that had some experience under their belt so that we could come out with the best quality product. And so for our first rounds, we were really excited to find partners in Europe that were excited to work with us on something that is a little bit of a um, unexpected when you're a winemaker to be approached about making non-alcoholic wine. Um, so we were really happy to work with folks who are interested in this next wave of wine, which is non-alcoholic wine. Um, 
And I think also as we were selecting the varietals and the types of wine that we wanted to be dealkalizing, um, because Catherine and I don't come from a typical wine making background, but we are wine lovers, a thing that we love and we were missing with non-alcoholic wines was finding unique varietals and being able to taste through different wines and see that there is a difference from one non-alcoholic wine to the next. Um, it was also really interesting for us to be able to work with varietals that maybe didn't have such an expectation around what it would taste and feel like. Mm -hmm. um, because when you remove alcohol from wine, you are, um, I, I think I heard someone once describe it as removing a load-bearing wall, which is very true. It's, <laughs> it's an intensive process. And so it does change some of the fundamentals of the wine for sure. And so when you're talking about a non-alcoholic Pinot Noir from Sonoma, there was a lot more expectation around what that's going to taste like. Um, oh, interesting. Sparkling yeah. Verdejo from Rueda. Oh, that's sure. really smart. I get that. Well, speaking of the sparkling Verdejo, why don't we go ahead and taste that yes. now? I really enjoyed this one. I mean, pour a little bit more here. Me too. Um, this was really nice. It's uh, crispy. It's fresh. Um, it's got nice fruit and the bubbles. It's lovely. And I... I read somewhere once that bubbles help in your mouth. You don't notice um, it, you don't notice a, um, a lack of alcohol because of the bubbles. Is that do you guys find that that's true? Yeah, so that's definitely a big part of it. So alcohol and ethanol plays a big part in the mouthfeel and the body that you expect in wine. And so um, when you lose that, um, it is definitely helpful to have some amount of carbonation to bring that texture back to the wine. Um, so I think typically spar sparkling non-alcoholic wines are the first that I'd recommend to someone who's trying non-alcoholic wine for the first time. We've had folks tasting through our sparkling wines and question whether or not there really wasn't any alcohol in it because mm -hmm. It has a very, very similar similar profile. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. That's great. So, what um, was interesting to me is that you know this um, bottle has a cork, just like a sparkling wine bottle would have. And um, once you open it up, so um, I put a because I opened it maybe maybe two days ago, and um, so um, I put a you know, one of those champagne stoppers on to keep the gas in and put it in the fridge. And two days later, it's still beautiful. But um, what's, what's the expectation um, once you open this or your other wines? Are they going to, you know, oxygen is such a, you know, it's, it's wine's enemy. And do these have um, a longer life in the bottle once opened, shorter life? How does that work? Yeah. So our suggestion for folks is to treat our non-alcoholic wines the same way they would wines. So after a bottle's been opened, we usually recommend refrigerating those bottles and um, consuming them in the next few days. We've had folks drink them further out than that. And we've also done some experimenting of drinking them further out than that. And uh, they're, they're all right. Slash sometimes I like the way that some of the taste profiles can evolve over time, um, with more exposure to oxygen, but in general, we recommend that people just really treat these the way they would treat wine at home or, um, when they're 
out with friends or bringing it to a dinner party or at a restaurant. Um, so we have a kind of a standard shelf life um, of a couple of years, but that's only because we've only had a couple of years to wow. these wines in our cellars. So yeah. we have some hypotheses that they could potentially keep and evolve with time in the ways that traditional wine um, does. And we're putting those hypotheses to the test as we speak. That's super fun. I mean, you you don't know because it hasn't been around long enough to find out. So that'll be a fun experiment to see. But I had that same question like, gee, are you supposed to drink them right away? And then once opened. So that's good to know. Treat them like a regular bottle of wine for now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they are lower calorie. I, I couldn't help but notice that. That made me really happy. Yeah. I and mean, you know, I think it's a very, we're in a very interesting moment right now where I think a lot of people are becoming more savvy about what they put into their bodies and thinking about their health. And alcohol just happens to be one of those areas, especially in the US, where there's not a ton of transparency into what the nutritional, quote unquote, nutritional value is. So I think it's been a really interesting um, learning process, actually, for a lot of our customers who report back to us that they're pleasantly surprised to see that calorie count. And it's because alcohol has a lot of calories in it. So when you're removing the alcohol, you're removing the majority of the caloric load of a glass of wine. Um, and so we didn't go into this with kind of a calorie cutting view in mind. I think that just happens to be one of the um, added benefits, if that's something that's a priority to you. But it's not something that we uh, consider in the product development process. And yeah, I think it's uh, kind of reflective of where things are headed as people look at nutrition labels and ask for more transparency into what they're putting in their bodies, non-alcoholic can help frame that conversation as people are making choices about what they want to drink tonight. Sure. Mm. And also, um, on the back labels of these bottles, at least for the Garnacha and the Gruner Weiss, you have vintage dates on that, which um, I wasn't expecting with non-alcoholic wine. But I guess it makes sense because you start off with a full-blown winemaking process, right? Yes. And I think one of the things we were also really excited about as folks who sometimes want to have a night out but not be drinking alcohol was this idea that every one of our wines is coming from a real place at a real time, you know? And I think sometimes when you're drinking a beverage, you can get kind of far away from that concept, whether kind of cracking a soda or, you know, chugging a sports drink or whatever. It can feel kind of just like, it appeared, you know, it was manufactured and it appeared. And mm -hmm. with our wines, we really wanted to depart from that and move towards a, a lot more sense of place and sense of time. And it's also just kind of a reality. And it's a kind of count in the transparency column because, right, harvest happens once a year. These grapes were harvested at this time and then made into wine. And I think it helps people to kind of connect the dots backwards to know that. Mm -hmm. And I even noticed with the uh, the bottles, the labels, everything about it, you, you know, it, they're elegant. You're not mass producing, um, you know, a beverage. This this is akin to any fine wine house and the bottles they would put out. These are beautiful yeah. labels and uh, and and really nice bottlings. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're, we're we were happy to bring these bottles um, into people's homes and onto menus. Uh, the wines have been embraced by some fine dining establishments, which has been really amazing to see. And that's what we wanted. We wanted these non-alcoholic wines to be able to stand up to 
those fine dining experiences, those pairing experiences, and not feel like a compromise or a big trade-off. So happy. And it's not that. cheap. I mean, it's not oh. two buck chuck pricing either. It's, you know, you guys um, have put them at a price point that says, you know, these are quality. Yeah. Is yeah. That, was that your goal at least? Yeah. And I, well, I think what our goal was, was to make the best quality product we could as an introduction into the category, because this is an area where I think there's going to be a lot of innovation and we're excited to be kind of on the bleeding edge of that. But we wanted people's first impressions, if this was going to be their first time drinking non-alcoholic wine, to be as good as they could possibly be. And so we started with premium grapes. We're adding additional processes. So a lot of people expect non-alcoholic wines to be significantly cheaper than regular wines because there's no alcohol, which kind of tells you a lot about the psyche around paying for alcohol and what we value. But, <sighs> you know, <laughs> we uh, we are actually taking the wine through several additional expensive steps. So usually when we explain that to folks about our process and the way that we're um, delivering these kind of final results, it kind of clicks. But your knee-jerk reaction can sometimes be like, oh, well, this is no minus alcohol, so minus dollars. Right, exactly. So that's one misconception about the non-alcoholic wines. What are some others that you've come across? I think there is this real perception when folks are approaching it for the first time, maybe they've tried some of the previously available products that kind of were available in grocery stores, or they associate it with Martinelli's. And I think they are expecting often sometimes um, a product that's very sweet. Uh, most non-alcoholic beverages that have been served to date, you know, in a restaurant, on a menu, or as the alternative at a party have had a pretty sweet profile. So I think we're entering this kind of fun new era of diversifying that range of tastes uh, that are serving non-alcoholic needs. So we're seeing more bitter products, we're seeing um, higher acid products. And I think we are excited to be delivering something that, Mary, you touched on, which is a drier profile. So that's one misconception I think we see a lot as people approach non-alcoholic wine for the first time. Well, speaking of dry, um, but delicious, I also really enjoyed the Gruner. So let's go ahead and go, um, yes. will you talk us through that one? This, uh, the, I think the sparkling Verdejo is around $36, 34, 36. And am I right on that? And the Gruner, I think is like 32. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So tell us about this wine. Yeah, so the Gruner just officially launched today. Actually, we had a little um, pre-sale announcement a week ago, but today is the first day it's available to the public, and we're really excited. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback so far. Um, we think that this is a step further in the direction of um, replicating a wine-like experience because um, we think we've advanced significantly on the um, aftertaste in this one. So that's something that, you know, is typically carried with the ethanol um, mm -hmm. and uh, with this Gruner Weiss, which is a blend between Gruner Veltliner and Gelber Muscateller. Um, we're really excited to hopefully be advancing that um, even further. We worked with a young female winemaker from Austria on this one. Um, she's taken over um, some of the operations at a very established, long-running family um, vineyard in Austria. And 75% of the world's 
Gruners coming from Austria. So it felt like um, this is the interesting winemaker story, but it's also um, a really cool varietal to be highlighting from this part of the world. Um, I think for this moment, it's coming out mid-July. It's a very easy drinking summer wine. And so that was part of what we were thinking about when we um, developed this wine was when when folks would be receiving it and how it could fit into their summer wine drinking um, and meal pairing. But it's also a super versatile grape. So both Gruner and Gelber Muscatel are super versatile. So we were excited to hopefully take a step forward in developing a wine that we can keep on our shelves a little bit more. We produced more of this wine and um, we are excited for folks to be able to try this varietal in a non-alcoholic format. Yeah, what's great about it is it does have so much of that Gruner varietal character, the the lime, the high acid, the herbalness. Um, I'm not familiar with Gelber Muscateller. That's new for me. But, um, you know, what does that add to the blend? Yeah, that adds a lot of dimension when it comes to the aromatics. Um, this has really good floral aromatics. I love that. Yeah, I'm so happy to hear that. That's something that um, the aromatics are some of the compounds that are the most volatile, so they can often be lost during the dealkalization process. So that was something we were really thinking about because obviously aroma plays a huge part in how we experience wine. And so we wanted to bring that back um, into our non-alcoholic wine experience. And I'm going to just do a quick shout out to Dorothy here, who has a pretty extensive background in um, fragrance and fine perfume making. So she's got a pretty great palette for aromatics. And I think that's also helped us in this product development process. Okay. Okay. Wait, you have to tell me more because I'm a perfume fanatic too. Here we Dorothy, go. <laughs> tell me. I want to know more. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, we touched on a little bit. Neither of us come from a winemaking background. I, for the last decade or so have worked in beauty and for the latter part of that or more recent part of that, um, I worked for a perfume maker. Um, on product development. So it was not an industry that I expected to land in, but it was one that once I was there, I really loved the combination of artistry and science that goes into perfume making when you're talking about just the world's best chemists who are also artists in a way. Um, right. And I think that has really lent itself to wine, getting into wine and winemaking too, because um, there's a lot of technical knowledge. There's also a ton of artistry and decisions that are being made based on a gut feeling. Um, and so that has been a fun parallel. And um, even though I'm the one with the perfume background, I will say Catherine has an excellent palate as well. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, I, I always like to compare wine and perfume as being um, these are aromatic experiences and wine evolves in the glass just like a perfume evolves on the skin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah absolutely. True. I mean, there's this um, headspace, which is sort of the first elements that you experience when you open a bottle or when you pour a glass and then the heavier the element or compound, the later it 
blossoms and bouquets into something. So, um, and that also is why Catherine and I both share the opinion that sometimes our wines are better even on the second day because they're evolving Uh as you would expect with traditional wine. And um, yeah, so it's, it's fun. It's always a cool experiment to try it one day and then try it the next and um, see how it's going. (laughs) So I have to ask you, do you have a favorite perfume or family of floral, florals, um, whether it's floral, gourmand, spice that you, you gravitate towards? Um, You know, the beauty of working in it is my favorites change depending on what I'm working on or the time of year that it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been exposed to so many different perfumes. And I'll say when I started working in perfume, I thought that I was definitely not a rose or a floral person. Mm -hmm. Um, But starting to work with rose and florals and work with the top perfume makers and understand the thinking and the formulation behind it, you're steeped in rose and floral. And then suddenly you realize you're wearing it because you love it so much. Um, And so it's hard for me to pick a favorite. There are categories that I reach for more, but I kind of see perfume as um, like an element of dressing. So it depends what I'm doing. If I'm going to the beach, it's a very different perfume than if I'm um, wearing a velvet dress for a black tie event. Not that I do that that often. But. <laughs> yeah, but I totally, I totally agree with you. And it's just like wine. You know, people ask me, what's your favorite wine? Like, well, I have these ones that I kind of lean towards, but, mm-hmm. you know, it depends on my mood, depends on where I am, who mm-hmm. I'm with. Same with perfume. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, how do you guys decide, how do you, the two of you have been working together from the start on this, how do you divvy up the duties? Do do you take it, do you work together on all, all parts of the business or does one handle one thing while um, the other something different? You know, I think there are, are natural categories where Dorothy will have more expertise or I'll have a little bit more experience. And so we do divvy things up a bit that way, but we also started this business because we love each other's company and like building things and creating things together. So we do kind of ski together on a lot of the core pillars of the business. And so far that's been a lot of fun because I have a saying, and it's not perfect, but it's like, if you're with someone you really like, like, even if you're going through hell, like you're doing it together and it's still an experience, (laughs) you know, like you can kind of still have a good time. Um, Yeah. So that's been how we've made the decisions about who's going to spearhead what up till now. Very cool. Very cool. All right. We have another wine to taste. This is the Solo Garnacha. Am I saying that right? Or is it Garnacha? Yeah, Garnacha. Um, Garnacha. For a lot of folks, they're seeing that for the first time, but it's just Spanish for Garnacha. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And this is, again, this is from the mountains of Spain, yeah? Yeah. Can you tell us about this wine? This is a red. Yeah, so I think we've made the journey from perhaps um, easy to polarizing when it comes to non-alcoholic wine. So whereas sparkling is the first wine that I'd point someone towards in their non-alcoholic wine journey, red is the one that um, people have stronger opinions on. They've been looking for uh, a really great non-alcoholic wine, and so they have a lot of emotionality when it comes to trying. 
Um, this wine is a single varietal. Um, we've also explored doing some blends on on red wine in particular that that I think is um, interesting and adds depth and dimension. But we really wanted to offer something that was super expressive of the varietal that um, folks are familiar with, mostly as Grenache, but Garnacha from Spain. Um, this is an area that we're continuing to try to push the needle on because I think um, there's a lot of psychology when it comes to red wine and what you expect from a big red, a lot mm. of flavor, very robust. And as we said before, you're removing 16, 17% of anything. Um, sometimes it get can, the ABV can get up that high. Mm -hmm. uh, you're losing a lot of body. Um, and we certainly don't want to be dumping in a lot of sugar to balance that out and, and make up for it. And so it can be kind of a dry tannic, um, experience, but that we've found has really resonated with folks who are looking for that mouthfeel that you get from really rich red. Um, what's interesting to me, it, um, as it hits my mouth, it feels mm, maybe lighter maybe that's the minus the alcohol it gives it a lighter maybe fresher feeling in your mouth so it's it's like you just if you change the mindset of how it's going to be in your mouth and like that experience of like the heavy alcohol feel the almost like the burn of an alcohol this doesn't have that but it does have the the fruit and the dryness you can taste the tannins um but in kind of a a lighter fresher way is how it, i approached it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that totally. And, you know, you, you definitely get the blue and black fruit and you get a little bit of earthiness too. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I would say that this one would be better. I would like to have this with food. You mm -hmm. know, I think that it'd be a, 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 a rather than just like the other two I could see sitting by the pool or whatever, <laughs> they're light and, and they work just on their own. And I like this, but I think I would really like to see how it works with food. You know, I think that would be a nice enhancement. What is this like with a steak? What is this like with a, a, a bowl of pasta? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think both Catherine and I have favored this wine and others at different times based on what we're looking to get out of it. Um, and this one's definitely nice when I've had experiences and folks have written in with their experiences, kind of pouring a glass of red wine, cooking dinner and serving dinner. And then sort of at the end of the night, realizing, oh, I was drinking non-alcoholic red wine this whole time. I forgot there was no alcohol. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's got to be a big compliment for you. Yeah, we definitely love to hear that. <laughs> so do you all see the interest in non-alcoholic wines continuing to grow or is this a trend that's going to, you know, slow down anytime soon? Like we've, you know, we've seen so many trends recently, like I'll just, you know, cite the recent seltzer boom, you know, that was huge and now it's kind of fizzled off. Um, where do you see non-alcoholic wines going and what's your next step with um, Null? Yeah, I think this is really chapter one of what's going to be a long story for non-alcoholic wines. So a lot of people ask us if they think it's a trend, and I think we're probably headed in a direction where there's going to be a whole non-alcoholic section in uh, fine wine establishments and uh, liquor stores and places where you would usually be shopping for that bottle of wine. Um, some of the stats that we've seen that 
kind of lean in that direction is I, I think the U.S. wine market is maybe $75 billion a year, something wild and large. And about half of American adults who currently drink are actively trying to drink less. So I think we're going to see quite a few non-alcoholic um, products come to the market over the next few years. I think we're going to see a lot of innovation in the category. And I think we're going to see a much broader adoption of non-alcoholic options on menus, in grocery stores, at the, those bottle shops that you love to explore. So our view, uh, maybe obvious because we started a non-alcoholic wine company, is that this is a category that is just getting started and is probably going to be here to stay for a while. I think you may be right. I think that uh, there's a ton of interest in it. And with interest comes people working hard to make the wines taste better. And I think you guys have really hit on some great ones. And I congratulate you for it. And like I said, it's re- what's also really nice about these bottles, they look really good. It's got great photography. Um, the artwork on your bottles are really nice. And it just looks like a a, a really quality product. Yeah, thank you so much. We actually partner with different artists on each of our releases. So the releases that you have, um, that's Joshua Owens, who's sort of a multi-hyphenate photographer, who's also been a professional athlete and done many other things. And he's an amazing photographer. So we were really lucky to be able to use some of his works for this release. And uh, in our newest release, uh, there's a very interesting collage work uh, from a duo, Lewis and Louise, uh, that does mixed media. So yeah, we part of the concept is, you know, variety is a little bit the spice of life. And with every release, we're excited to be working with different creators and different artists at many levels, from the liquid itself to the bottles. That's fantastic. I mean, it just shows you that, you know, there's so much creativity that goes into this, so much thought, and, you know, just, you know, leaving alone the process because, Really, your process goes several steps beyond what it takes to make most traditional wines. Yeah, and I think I think that's a big part of the enjoyment of bringing these products to market. There is a lot that goes into it, and there are a lot of different creators that we're touching at different points in the process. And we kind of viewed Studio Null as a collaborative effort and one where we're going to be constantly pushing ourselves and our partners and they're going to be pushing us to try and evolve um, what non-alcoholic wine can be. Love it. All right. Before we let you guys go, when you are not working with Null or Studio Null, excuse me, tell me what you guys do for fun. Yeah. I spend a lot of time in the Hudson Valley in upstate New York. I'm based in Brooklyn, but um, as a Midwestern gal, I try to get out side as much as I can. So I've been happy to um, enjoy some good moments hiking and hanging by the water this summer. Oh, that's great, Dorothy. How about you, Catherine? Yeah, I love to, I'm in the Bay Area, which is, I'm sure you can relate to this, Mary, like sort of an embarrassment of riches when it comes to nature (laughs) and great outdoors things to do. So most weekend days, I'm trying to go for a hike or go for a swim, go for a bike ride. I love to be outside. I have that thing where if I'm not outside for a certain number of hours a day, I feel guilty, Like, uh, <laughs> so, which is hard because work needs to get done and can't always get done outside. Right. Um, so I love to do that. And I love to um, have fun meals with friends. Uh, I like to go to art openings and go to museums. I'm kind of a nerd for that. Oh, that's awesome. So, so good. And there's a lot of that in the Bay Area too. Yeah, yeah. definitely. 
there's always amazing uh, exhibits on and that's something we're really lucky to have so much of them here. So what can we expect to see next from Null? What are you all working on? You know, I think one of the very cool parts of starting this business is and being open to this being a new category is we get a ton of feedback from folks who are excited about non-alcoholic wine and people who've tried our wines about what they are looking for, the occasion that they're finding it to make the biggest difference in, whether it's that a 5 p.m. glass of red that they're used to on the workday or that popping the bottle to celebrate a big occasion. So it's been really helpful to kind of get tasting notes and feedbacks from tons of customers. And we're looking to sort of incorporate those learnings and the crowd favorites into our future productions while also making tech, tech advancements in the finish, the body, um, getting those that kind of perfect hit of fruit and dryness and acidity um, and really continuing to deliver things that are original and exciting for folks. Uh, I think that's the priority in the short term, I would say. And are your are a studio null available in wine shops or are you an online only at this point? Yeah, we are. Um, we are available online through our website, uh, but we are also available in a handful of shops around the country. And that list is growing kind of every week, honestly. Um, so we have some stockists that folks can find us at, but we're also always encouraging um, fine purveyors of beverages, many of whom are kind of seeing that their customers are looking for more low and no alcohol options to get in touch with us because we love to meet uh consumers where they are. And I think that's a, been a really fun part of building Studio Null is all of the different points where people can be encountering these bottles and learning something and getting excited about some new possibilities for what their night can look like from a drinks perspective. Perfect. Fantastic. Yes. Um, and we will put some information on our show notes on our website, sipsipparaypodcast.com, that where folks can find you. All Perfect. right. Catherine Diao and Dorothy Munholland, it has been such a pleasure getting to uh, meet both of you and learn about Studio Null. It's a really exciting space that you guys are in. And I appreciate the fact that you're going for a quality product. Um, thank you for sharing your wines with us and your story. We've really enjoyed it. Thank you thank so much. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, this uh, is, it's been really fun. So thank you so much for having us. Well, thanks for joining us and sip, sip, hooray to you and to Studio Null. Sip, sip, hooray. Cheers. Cheers. Well, Mary Babbitt, you know, non-alcoholic wines are here to stay. I really believe it. And they are only getting better and better. And it was just so nice getting to know Catherine and Dorothy and seeing their dedication and their commitment to really producing not just a high quality beverage, but one that really gives you the experience of enjoying wine, even if it doesn't have alcohol. Right. The fun uh, varieties they're using from Verdejo to the Spanish Grenache and uh, Gruner Weiss. That was really fun. And um, yeah, just a nice alternative to uh, an alcoholic beverage. Absolutely. So whatever your reason is for not drinking alcohol, um, this is a really great, a better alternative than just, a, you know, a 
sparkling water or, you know, a diet soda or something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you feel like you're still partaking in the experience of sharing um, wine with people, but, you know, without the buzz. And I think that's only a good thing. Right. <laughs> we might all be a little healthier. Yeah. My sleep might be a little better then. Yeah, better. Well, thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed our show today, we hope that you'll share it with others and also that you'll take the time to rate and review us and also follow us on whatever platform you're listening. If it's Spotify or Apple Music, wherever you're getting your podcast, if you'll just take a few moments and um, give us a review and then follow us, it really helps what we're doing and it helps us find other listeners. And we are on Substack. Sip Sip Hooray podcast is there. All of our episodes are there. And if you subscribe to our Substack, you will get an email as soon as we release every new episode, plus some other goodies that may come your way. And um, we are also very social. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Sip Sip Hooray podcast. And we would love for to hear comments from you, what you thought about this episode, any questions, you know, engage with us. We would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. And Mary Orland, this was fun. Can't wait to do it again. Me too. And um, whether it's a full ABV wine or a glass of Studio Null, I toast and say sip, sip, hooray. Sip, sip, hooray.